Turkey hunting is one of my favorite things. And one of the key tools I use for turkey hunting is the Onyx Hunt Map. I use it incessantly when I'm hunting turkeys. Being able to find a new piece of public or gaining permission on private opens up opportunities for gobblers. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you this spring. Use the code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. You'll find more birds this season. I'm telling you, I rely on Onyx Hunt when I'm hunting turkeys. It is an invaluable turkey hunting tool. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on and having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Um, you know, I've been wanting to talk about, and you guys will appreciate this because you, you both garden. We had, okay, I was growing pumpkins, okay? And, I, and the pumpkins I grew, I was growing them like in my garden closest to the road. And started to get some like good head size pumpkins. Nice. And one day I come out and one of them has been twisted off, clearly twisted off the vine and is gone. <laughs> okay. And I'm like looking at, I'm like trying to figure out. And I used to have like we raised pet raccoons when I was a kid, and I know like what a raccoon's capable of. <laughs> and I was like, could they really get? Because we got them, you know. Like, could they really get like a pumpkin off, and then also get it away where I can't find it? I come out the next day, and my other pumpkin has been cut with a freaking knife. Mm. So at this point, I know like this is not, you know, like I've seen raccoons do crazy stuff, but like wield knives is not right. Just. And I and I and I'm guilty. Like you know, you hear about police profiling. I profile in my head who that is that's doing it. And I'm like, that is an adolescent male pumpkin snatcher. And I even tell my neighbors, I'm gonna catch him and I will cut his hands off. <laughs> so I'm out and I'm trying to rig up a trail cam, right, to get some to get a picture of who's ever molesting the pumpkin patch. And I'm talking to the neighbors about it, and I'm like being so sly that I don't want to put my trail cam out in the daylight right thinking that he's so such a sly burglar that he'd notice right so 
it's getting dusk and I'm kind of thinking about, you know, it's time to have the trail cam ready. And my phone rings is the neighbor. He's like, there's a little old lady out in your garden. <laughs> and by the time I get out there, she's gone. But I go down the road and they tell me where she's headed and I catch her down the road. And I'm like, ma'am, ma'am. And it's dark out, you know, I'm like, were you just in my garden uh, stealing pumpkins? Not me, honey. <laughs> and I'm like, really? You're t- like, you're telling me you weren't just over at my house getting pumpkins. It just walks off. Like, nothing to say to me about it. Well, not long after that, the green beans start coming in. And I open my garage door, and I just see some legs squirting across <laughs> the, in front of the door. The door's rising up. And I follow her down the road, and she's walking down the road with a big handful of, a big handful of green beans. And then I don't even say anything, because now I'm like, I'm not even saying anything to her. The other day I'm on the phone, not the other day, a little while ago, I'm on the phone, I look out the window, and now it's perfectly daylight, and she's out harvesting carrots. So I yell <laughs> down, and the kids are like, they call it like the pumpkin thief lady. And I yell down, like, she's out there right now taking carrots. And someone yells out the door, like, ma'am, we'd appreciate if you would just ask if you need some vegetables. She looks up at the door, takes those carrots, throws them on the ground, and walks off down the road. No way. Just blatant. Wow. Blatant, like, like vegetable thievery. I wonder if she has like some, some type of Alzheimer's and she yes. thinks it's the pea patch. Yes. She thinks it's the pea patch. And I, yeah, I think she may wake up in the morning and be like, why is there a green pumpkin in the kitchen? But yeah, so, so that's why I've been trying to like teach, I've been trying to instruct my kids. I was telling them, it's, it's like you get in the hard stuff to explain. I'm like, you know, sometimes mm. old people, and I'm like really struggling for a way to put it, and this is not the best way to put it, but I was like, sometimes old people will become more like They'll become like kids, kind of. Mm-hmm, Just mm-hmm. in some like bad stab at sort of trying to explain this to a four-year-old. And the seven-year-old was like, yeah, but kids don't get to walk around in the middle of the night. <laughs> I'm like, hey, it's like a different kind of kid. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Eduardo Garcia, uh, how can you sp- explain the electrical charge that you were struck by? Like in 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 volt, like whatever way is best to explain it. Yeah. Um, so what I know about it, and you know, you'll have to forgive me that to many people's amazement, I, um, you know, my enthusiasm was really curbed to dig into too many of the details. I think, um, you know, 2011, I, I was uh, suffered an electrical injury that nearly took my life. You know, October 9th. and uh, October nine, October October nine, 2011. And, um, I get, you know, to get to your question though, is I, I was so immersed in survival for so long post that, that day that by the time I finally found my feet months down the road and 21 surgeries later, I just didn't, you know, maybe it's like a cocktail mix of denial and then just, uh, you know, lack of interest to go revisit that moment. Mm-hmm. That I, that I I I I just I wanted didn't need that many details about what it was, but what I can say is that just yeah, um, just back up and tell the story of what happened. So uh, I was just trying to start out with like a titillating detail. Yeah. Man. <laughs> so so um, you can cut me off. If I get too long winded no. because I, I I like to I like to spin spin a story. But please, um, you're out elk hunting. I know that. Yeah. Well, the 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 short of it is that I you know I'd been a. I'd been working in the yachting industry as a chef for 10 years. 
And starting 2010, I had uh, basically decided I was going to leave yachting um, and try to get back to Southwest Montana, um, near the Bozeman area, where, where I'm from, where I was raised. And uh, I was going to start a food brand, start a food company called Montana Mex. Which you did. Which I did. And I was going to start filming a cooking show for television. And I was going to call it Active Ingredient. And, um, you know, so I had, a, I had a, like a pilot for the show. I had, uh, you know, I was um, repped by William Morris Endeavor uh, as talent. I had a production team out of Denver, Citizen Pictures, um, that was going to pitch this show. And the Food Network wanted uh, first right of refusal, you know, to basically sign the show. And uh, life was good. Life was good. I was no longer working on the yacht. I was home in Montana, just finished. A- but you liked working on the yachts, though. Uh, for for ten years, but you can only sleep in a bed half the size of this table for so long, you know. Um, Just traveling your ass off. Yeah, you know, and I, I was thirty. I wanted to have a family. I wanted to move home and 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 just get back to a mountain, a western Rocky Mountain way of life. You were thinking about having a family. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, at thirty, didn't have a girl yet, but you know, um, and. And so I find myself home for 2011. I just left the yacht. And I'm working hard on Montana Mex with, uh, with, with you know, my business partners and co-founders. And Because um, your father's from Mexico. Dad, dad's from Mexico, from the Yucatan, Cancun area. You ever been down there? Many times, man. Yeah, so I'm he's going down there in February. So he's from Isla Mujeres, which is that little island right off. No, I know that island. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're going out to a different island, but... Yeah. But yeah, I spent a shitload of time down there. Yeah, so dad is a uh, fifth generation um, lobster and shark fisherman and chiclero. So like from his dad's side. What's they a chiclero? Would, chicle farmers. So they, they're like basically. Little gum? No, that, was, that was a bad joke. No, it is little gum, but it's how it happens. Yeah, there. machete, chicle trees. So like like sap in, in uh, upper New England. They're bleeding trees for their gum. Is that right? Uh-huh. Jeez, yeah. man. A total the stuff bit. I don't know sometimes kind of surprises me a little bit. I'm glad I could bring it to the table. <laughs> <laughs> You know, um, real quick, when I got out of school, when I got out of regular college, we uh, went down there a number of times. Sometimes we'd fly into Cancun and go south and just mm-hmm. sleep, on the, sleep on the beaches yeah. and fish. Yeah. Fish, bone fish, and all kinds of other stuff. That's, yeah. that's I kind of fell in love with that place, man. This su- is a long time ago. Now we're talking about back in the late 90s. Yeah, no, that's a super pretty area. You know that, so side note, and Giannis can have to reel us in if we digress too far, but... Um, that area, the, the Yucatan Peninsula, and what's now called sort of like the, the Riviera of the Yucatan. Yeah, the you know? Maya Riviera. Yeah, it's back uh, in like the late 60s, the Mexican government was basically, you know, throwing darts at a board and looking for their next Acapulco, you know? And that was kind of in its heyday, and, and they knew, or just coming into it, and they knew, you know, like, we need to be 10 years out. What's the next destination place in Mexico? And so they chose Cancun. And Cancun at the time was uh, oil wells, oil wells, and palm plantations for uh, palm oil, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, and and fishing villages. That was it. You know, I mean, it was so remote that you know my dad and I may have shared this story when when we cooked on uh, did that meat eater show like two years ago with you. But um, you know, my dad. It was so you know they, they would had this life where they would live in the estuaries, the mangrove estuaries of of that peninsula and you know there's no noise there's no air traffic there's no airport you could hear a fish jump you know in the lagoon and, and know what fish it was it's just uh, that was the lifestyle down there but um anyway that that's how cancun became kind of mtv senor frogs god man if i could go back in time and find whoever that guy had that idea <sighs> oh my gosh and just 
not like do anything real bad to him, but just so, somehow interrupt him at the moment he would have had the idea. Oh yeah, they. I mean, they. they <laughs> my dad. You know, they. Like, hey. They have deer down there. They have uh, called chachalacas, which are pheasant, like a pheasant yeah, of the Yucatan. Yeah, bird. Yeah. Um, turkeys, whole thing. But all right. So back in Montana. Anyway, back in Montana, getting after a food brand, um, pitching a TV show. Um, had big plans. Kicking ass. Big plans. Yeah. I mean, was, basically, I just left. Crazy successful yachting career, a decade, and I should, you know, I not should have, I could have stuck with that, and that would have been career, retire, you know, another ten years, and um, like you could make money private chefing. Well, you don't have any expenses because you're living on the boat, and you yeah, have someone buying point. your Q-tips and everything else, you know. Yeah. Um, so you can put it all away, and and friends do you put it into whatever. Um, anyway, so a longtime friend. This is how I got to this injury. As a longtime friend asked if I would cater his wedding end of September September in New Mexico. I said, great. He's from Montana, and he wanted elk on the menu. I said, perfect. I'll hunt, I'll hunt the elk. I'll do, get a B tag and an A tag, and I'll, I'll you know, bring down all the, all the good steak meat I can and make a menu. Here we go. And I ended up having, I ended up, of course, you know, not getting an elk. So I had to borrow it from all kinds of friends and family. And got enough elk, pulled off the wedding, got home, like the 29th of September, and now I was like committed. I need to shoot. I need to harvest two elk to pay all my buddies back, their back straps and whatever else. And um, so there I was. And so on the morning of October 9th, I'd been hunting hard, looking for elk. And um, Is that opening day? No, it's archery season still. Oh, you're still in archery? Yeah, so archery you know, goes to like the 14th usually. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And so I'm in the tail end of archery. The rut's like high gear. It's amazing. It's the time you want to be out in Montana, you know. And, uh, and that morning I had a herd bull, nice six by with about 30 cows pass at, I don't even know, 40 yards and the cows were booging quick and the bull, I kept cow chir- chirping. So I got the, I at least got the bull to stop and I'm at full draw looking at this bull and I'm thinking, no, I borrowed a two-year-old cow off my buddy, and I'm going to return a two-year-old cow. Like, I'm going to return the, the same type of meat, give or take, right? Not a stringy herd bull. Most people in their right minds would not pass up a 30-yard quartering away broadside shot at an elk, at a bull elk, right? Um, so I let it go. And I, uh, it's like 9 a.m. now. I'm thinking, you know what? I'm going to go to this other spot. I'm going to go down the road now. And then, so I parked my car at the trailhead and ended up three miles up kind of right where the sage foothills meets kind of high alpine dug fir timber. And, um, yeah, I came across what looked to me like a 50-gallon oil drum cut in half, you know. And um, inside it, I saw um, what I noticed was like some claws and black fur. And it, this is in the middle of a tight drainage with tall grass and sage. And, you know, if you – Yeah, okay, I got to stop you. Yeah. Because I'm going to introduce the thing now. There, I, I realize I haven't, I haven't made, made this clear. Um, I've seen this place because yeah. there's a new documentary out called Charge. Yes. Which is your life story framed around this freak injury and your recovery from this freak injury. That's right. So I've seen this place. Yeah. Because you visited a couple times in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what what land ownership is this? Public land. Public land. That's what I never understood. Okay, so now no, pick it back up. But I, was, I kept looking at it being like, 
So it's miles from the road, from the trail. Yeah, it's three miles in. This is good because we're getting back to the original question, which was, was it? So, um, Public land. Public land. Yeah, it's right on the Yellowstone National Park border. Okay. Public land. Um, you know, it's a super hot spot for elk hunting, um, especially in the rut because, you know, the tactic is to bugle them out of the park, you know, get them across the line. Super bear-rich zone. So, you know, um, kind of your, your head's turned Both on. Both kind of bears. Yeah. You know, this is down in Beatty Gulch. And, and anyone that's ever heard the word Beatty Gulch for Southwest Montana Region 3, you're like, oh, yeah. You know, every year there's someone, some calling for a bear situation. And so my head is turned on. So when I see this, um, this can, two things I think of. I'm thinking it's old mining. So the, the town of Aldrich is an old mining camp. So I grew up in that area. I grew up in Corwin Springs, like a mile down the road. So all of the hills around there are littered with old mining debris. Yeah. Sheep camps. So it is not uncommon to be in the Rocky Mountain West and see an old enamel bowl or an old cast iron stove or, right? Something. Oh, yeah, man. Like, so, yeah, crazy stuff. Or like heavy equipment that was yeah. obviously driven in, but now the roads are gone and you kind of wonder like how they got it in there, but you realize it's just, right. it's been collecting debris for 150 years. And or a container for a salt block for a cow lease. Yeah. You know? And so that's what I think. So I immediately think that's what it is. And, and, then, um, and then I see the claws and, I'm, and I'm, I'm hunting. You know, I have my gear on me. And I pull out a knife, basically, just to pop a claw or two off, right? Cut home it. Because there's a, what looks to be an inverted barrel, an open-top barrel coming out of the ground. Yeah. And yeah. I, and I, I know what you're talking about. In the, like, in the middle that, of nowhere. That, like, cor- like, corrugated sort of metal appearance. No, that's what you see in the film, because that's what they protected it with. I got you. So, think of just a rusty old oil drum. With a two dead feet off the bear deck. Well, in it. And, and to say dead bear, so I remember People Magazine did a write-up about this, and they were like, and Garcia stabbed a baby bear. And then I had all this hate mail. I was like, why would you stab a baby bear? Like, it made it sound like I killed stabbed this. Stabbed a baby made bear. Made it sound like I killed this bear. So let's, <laughs> let's, just, make this, let's just make this really clear. Dude, that, the, yeah, this is the kind of story. Yeah. This is the kind of story with enough complexity that I wouldn't let People Magazine even come kind of close to this. No, it, believe me, I made many mistakes in the post-aftermath of my injury. But um, Stabbed a baby bear. You're talking to some jackass who never laid eyes on a bear or a barrel. In their yeah. life. <laughs> yeah. And he's not even writing anything down. You're like, all right, where's your imagination going with this memory? Yeah. <laughs> like, What's, uh, remind me what a barrel is again? <laughs> yeah, you know? So, it, it, was, it was actually this. So, when I say baby bear now, this is good to know. When I say it now, I'm six years later. So, I have all the facts now. But at the moment, I, I, all I know is that there's, it, you know, there's like basically four little two-inch claws but in the damn barrel inside this barrel and there's and there's like a, a you know a little mess of fur like a toupee you know there's a scrap of fur and a claw you know sitting in this barrel it's not okay. like there's a hundred pound animal in this barrel so, so it put, was uh it had been there for a while it was desiccated it, it was mummified man totally mummified ah. right so I'm See, like, I know the damn story, but I didn't know. Yeah, and you never told me otherwise. I just, I guess you just jumped to the idea that it's a full on. Fresh, yeah, what, dead, freaking bear in a from barrel. From yesterday. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and here's, this is, this is an opportunity that I relish because most interviews, like People Magazine or whatever else, you've got a soundbite and, and you don't have time. No one wants to hear your description of what this bear is. They want to know how hard life's been since then and what are you doing and all these things. So, yeah. So you're, you're, no, I want to know about the bear. Yeah, you're looking at like <laughs> a handful of fur, some dry, twisted, sinewed skin, and like a few claws. Okay. So I pull a knife out of my right, off my right hip I put it in my left hand. And you, and you haven't touched it with your right, you haven't touched it yet. No, and I'm going in with both hands and just. That's it. 
major, major warmth on the back of my head, super high frequency uh, orchestration going on in my, in my mind, you know, in, within my brain, sound, and, uh, and then curtain claw, just black. That's, that's my memory of the injury. And should have been just dead as dead. Should have been just dead as dead. Yeah. And if, if we all took a nap underneath a tree, you'd wake up and you'd see the sky and you'd see treetops. And that's my next memory, followed then by the sound of gravel under my feet. So what happens, what we know, and no one else is with me. So this is just what I can remember is that I, I clearly woke up, my eyes opened, I got up. I left all my stuff there. I left my phone. I left my keys. I left everything. And I got up to my feet. And then I wake up on this road, walking downhill. And I, I remember hearing my boots on gravel. I remember hearing a Western Meadowlark chirp. And I start to see the valley floor in front of me heaving and kind of coming into focus. And it's at that point that I start putting back the pe- You know, I start like, yeah. where am I? What am I? What am I doing? And then I recall I'm hunting, or I was hunting today. I recall I parked at Beatty Gulch. I recall I saw this thing, and then it just happens quick. Like, oh, yeah, I reached out. I was going to take a claw. God, I heard, like, a noise and heat. And, and then I, like, look, and I notice that my left hand is just crutched up against my torso, and my hand is super black, totally burnt. And I have, um, you know, you can see sinew and bone, and it's really kind of gnarly. It looks like just a charred... The hand that was holding the knife. Yeah, it looks like a charred turkey foot. Except yeah. the other hand just has sort of a black, you know, blowout scar on top of it, and otherwise it's not messed with. And I realized... Because you don't know what you... You had no idea that you had just scorched no. your chest down and burnt your ribs. No, all I can see is my two hands, you know? And, and then I... So then I, then I get it. I'm like, all right. I mean, I'm 30 years old. I've heard enough stories out there in the world. I'm like, I got electrocuted. I am walking to save my life right now. And, um, and, 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 and as I, so then I take note of that and then I'll, and then I shift. So I'm like, then I'm like fully present, lucid, as lucid I can be. I'm like, I am walking to save my life. I am mortally wounded right now. Like I am, I am headed for help. I have, and, and, and I, I realize that in my right hand, I have bear spray out of its holster in my hand. That's like a phenomenal thing to just like understand that I had, in leaving the scene, I had already like started going downhill to help, and I'd pulled bear spray out because somehow in my state of unconsciousness, remembered I'm in a bear-rich environment, so I have bear spray in my hand ready to go. And that's how I find myself. I make a sling for my left hand out of the two elk calls I had dangling around my neck, and, and I start walking. And, and I remember I hit the valley floor two miles later. I see a buck antelope, which I remember seeing on the way up. You know, and so it's coming back to me like, oh, I know where I'm at. <coughs> and that you know i ended up finding the cabin in the valley floor uh there's a guy working on his cabin and um he called the local he what called, did he think when he saw you because you were a mess i didn't yeah. realize how bad you were until i saw the footage that you guys had from that your girl you know like all, uh, i gotta show you movie, i gotta show like you all some. this amazing footage of like just very disturbing footage of a severely injured person but like what did the guy think when you showed up i gotta show you, you got some like a hole blown out of your head i gotta show you the footage the emts took you know i just i look like a halloween story <coughs> um he called 911 sat me down um paramedics showed up three of them at a gardener you know and i mean they were like they knew they were moving to save this guy's life 
I got to back you up now because I'm still so curious about this source. I know in the, grand, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter, but I just have to know. Okay. Like what you had to later oh. learn. Like what was it? Right, right, right. Oh, yeah. So here we go. So, this, so I want to cover that before we keep moving along because I think I just I don't want people okay. to because it, it's just so strange, right? So Malcolm Forbes, you know, you know, Forbes 500, right? Um, had a cabin up at the top of BD Gulch and they brought power to that cabin via the road. When they dug the road in, they buried a line. At one point, the road takes a big dog leg out and instead of rolling cable on that dog leg, they just shot straight up this little gully to the next switchback. Okay. And had some kind of easement to do this on public land. They must have. Yeah. And, and it was back in the 60s. Oh. And on the rollout, okay. on the rollout, when they're going up this drainage, they ran out of cable. They brought in a new spool and they spliced it. Instead of burying the splice, they just put a can on it. And at some point, there was... What? Yeah. They just put a can on the two tails, right? And it, it maybe it's junction box, you know, for, so basically it was a junction box. And the cabin's can. still there. Yeah, yeah. Has power. Yeah. So this was feeding, actually feeding a... Yeah, this is like this is like you know twenty four hundred volts going to a home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, the 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 lid was secured. That's important. Everyone needs to know the lid was secured. It had three locks on on all three sides, and um, you know the welds for the tabs that had the holes through it to keep the lid attached to the, the container had started to become compromised over time, and, and you know and then now we get to sort of like a place where via an NDA, I think I'm allowed to continue to say that. Um, you know, the locks, the, the tabs became compromised and then one broke and then another broke and then maybe a bison rubbed its ass on it one day or sloughing snow down the hill started to move it over time and then, of course, the lid fell off okay. and it just remained exposed and it gathered dirt and grass and maybe a sagebrush grew next to it. And, I mean, it just became engulfed in the drainage. Gotcha. You know. Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside. Planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing. Taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do for your family this spring? You can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year. I've said it before a thousand times. I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, we got serious about life insurance. And man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 292 bucks per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com. Or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Applying for tags each year in the West can be daunting. Yeah, I apply for everything everywhere. It's daunting. You have to go to a variety of sources to formulate your best guess as to where to apply. Well, this is a thing of the past now. Onyx just launched Hunt Research Tools to simplify the process for all hunters. This tool helps organize the data that matters, makes comparing hunt options easy, and helps hunters develop a plan based on real metrics rather than gut feelings. OnX Hunt also offers all elite members a free digital membership to Hunt and Fool, who I use, for boots on the ground, insight and knowledge, and a membership to Hunt Reminder, 
so you never miss another deadline. Stop stressing over application season and apply with confidence in 2024. Check out OnX Hunt Research Tools, free for all OnX Hunt Elite members. Not an elite member? Well, let's fix that. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt. This is an app I use literally every day. I use it for every aspect of hunting, scouting, trapping, you name it. Hey man, after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there is always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, well, what's the catch? But it turns out there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, Go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash meat eater. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Yeah. One last question about this. Is it your belief that the bear? I mean, a bear got electrocuted in there. Man, you know, like, did the bear die because of that power? I, who knows? I mean, it could have been dropped in there by something. Yeah. My guess, yeah, probably did. They probably died, probably bit into it or something. I mean, I've heard, so since then, I've, you know, we've researched into similar bizarre instances. And, you know, note to all you outdoorsmen out there that are going to listen to this is that if you come across a pile of dead animals in the middle of the woods, yeah. don't touch them. Like, don't poke it with the knife, you know? Um, you know, it could be one animal that dug into a power source because there's vibration and frequency coming out of it, and they pick up on that or whatever, and that animal dies, and another animal comes to feed on that animal, and it dies, and, you know, that's definitely happened. Are you familiar with La Brea Tar Pits? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look up, listeners, if you're <laughs> just... If, if, the cascading series of events, it, it kind of almost reminds me it's some freakish weird way. It reminds me of the La Brea tar pits because La Brea tar pits are these like Pleistocene <clears throat> tar pits that would trap animals. Yeah. And over the tens and tens of thousands of years, they trapped, you know, dozens of mammoths, hundreds of uh, dire wolves, short-faced bears, saber-toothed cats. Yeah. And when you look at all the stuff that's come out of there, uh, you're like, how could these like be that? Like, how could they have caught that much stuff? But some, I remember reading that one, what they call one interaction per decade mm. would account for it. And what they described was a baby mammoth walks out, gets stuck in the tar. A saber-toothed cat comes out to scavenge the carcass, gets stuck in the tar. A bird lands to scavenge <laughs> the saber-tooth, yeah. gets stuck in the tar. Stretched out over tens and tens and tens of thousands yeah. of years, you have this bizarre collection. Well, we're gonna. We're, so there's a <laughs> there was an interaction going on. Well, the at this power source. The buck stops here for this scenario because I didn't die. Yeah. I was not added to the evolutionary tar pit 
of electrical injuries in the woods. And uh, and that's that that actually is there's a like kind of anecdotal side note here is that part of the film charged not even part of the sole purpose of this documentary and I and we'll probably get to this later is to serve as some type of of beacon or educational or moving factor so that others others do not befall the same type of scenario that I did. You know, yeah, so that, the mo- but the movie does way sure, sure in a small the way. The movie does way more than that, it, but, it, but it does yeah. make you aware of uh, it does make you aware, uh, yeah, of the idea. Sort of my dismay and surprise about the accident, I think, um, helps explain this. It does make you aware that like you have the stuff in your head that you think can go wrong, and then there's the things that you never imagine. Oh, I would. Dude, yeah. that you would never, ever, ever imagine. I was, I was, you know, by the time when when I reached out to take that cloth, I was already <clears throat> a mile up the hill in my mind, stocking an elk. I was like, oh, cloth, you know, it was supposed to be that quick. And had I not had a knife in my left hand, most likely, you know, I, I may have not been zapped that day. That knife, so that that the 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 electrical jolt came through my left hand which is what was was the hand holding the knife and then entered into my body and exited in nine different places on my legs on my torso through my scalp and then and then here on my other hand so this was an exit wound through my right hand not an entrance wound yeah can you can you walk us through your injuries yeah and so, then i want to get to the really trippy part that like kind of blows my mind is the cancer element to yeah. this is is otherworldly Yes, but, so, but the injuries from the, the injury injuries. So the electricity entered through the knife that became the conduit that created the arc or, you know, that. And that knife hit metal or just hit the bear? No, I, I don't even think I'd made it. I don't even think I'd made it down to the bear, right? So the, the can maybe is 24 inches tall and I go leaning in and, and I, I'm again, I, I don't. Yeah, know for certain. Yeah, you don't remember the details. But my belief is that I never even made it to the claw, and at some point, that metal in my hand, everything else is charged in this barrel, right? And mm-hmm. at some point, that new metal, dunk, caught, you know, became a conduit for an electrical jump <sighs> that went into that knife and then came out through... So basically, goes in my left hand, comes out my left elbow, comes out my left torso, comes out my left thigh, comes out my right groin, comes out my right elbow, comes out my right hand, and comes out twice on my scalp. So like nine, not give or take nine major exit wounds. And what happened at your ribs? Uh, exit wound. Yeah, exit but wound. the size of a head. The, the exit wound, like, you know. Well, the size of two like, heads. Yeah, no. So the 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 thing is, when when you look at the initial wound site, it, it's fairly small. It's like the size of a a large honeydew melon. But once the doctors started debreeding, which is removing the dead tissue from burnt. my body, because yeah, they have to see get it back in the to live movie, tissue. You see all this where it's just it, like it, black. It grows twofold. You know, they have to dig back to live. You know, live live tissue, mm-hmm. live bone. So I had. So on my, I mean, that was probably that was one of my most extensive injuries was my left torso. Is um, basically, I lost half of my pectoral, uh, all of my obliques on the left side, and uh, four like two inch sections of rib. Like right now, you know, that's yeah. there's no ribs there. I remember one of the. Oh my god! Yeah, he's showing us the lack of. He's demonstrating lifting my shirt up, lack of ribs, showing the wounds. 
Um, we haven't even got to your arm yet, but right. uh, which is, I, I have to imagine, the, the the main part of this to you, um, losing an arm. Yeah. But in in the movie, when the doctor says to you, he's talking about what the surgery they're going to do just on the one wound on your rib cage. Yep. And your girlfriend's filming this interaction with you and a doctor, and he's kind of giving you like a basic what to expect. Right. Yeah. And he's yeah. like, for instance. You'll never do a pull-up again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember it, it like struck you. Yeah, yeah. I, in some I, way, because you, you, you'd always been like a fit. Like no, a, I, no, no, I wouldn't say like a fitness freak, but like you're a fitness guy. Uh, yeah, I was athletic. And my you whole can life. tell that that it is in the movie. You kind of see this moment where you're obviously like your whole life's changed, anyways. But I see this moment where you're kind of like, <clears throat> just that little detail makes you see. I was like, I was like, wait, like a week in like yeah, two, two that's, weeks. It's so funny. And he's like, no man, like for good, you'll never do a pull up again. It was, and that's because they were taking my, it's called a muscle, it's called a muscle flap. Mm-hmm. So basically with all that muscle being removed from my left torso, you're left with a very, muscle is part of your armor. It's part of your body's armor for the vitals, you know, as well. It doesn't just serve as this mobility tool, it's armor. And, and so with, with bones being removed, with all this tissue being gone, um, the doctors have to find a way to cover that up and, and, and protect the side of the body again. So, you know, the latissimus is not a vital muscle to overall life. Like it's, it's there for locomotion. So they basically remove the latissimus. That's that big muscle that runs from your shoulders down to your hip. It's kind of shaped like a V, you know, and they removed it from my hip. They brought it out of my, of, they brought it out and then they flipped it and attached it over to my left torso, Right. And so that's why, basically, if anyone does a pull-up, you're using your shoulders and your arms and your core, which is mostly these huge latissimus dorsi muscles. And so when the doctor's like, you won't ever, you know, you won't do a pull-up again, he was just speaking from learned experience that you're losing the majority of your pull power. Yeah. And Was, uh, was he right? Well, was, no, he wasn't. You know, two years later, I, I was at my prostitutions. And, yeah, because I see that. That's it looked like it looked throws, damn near like a pull up. Yeah, he throws <laughs> a pull up bar up on the up on the door, and and you know, probably a cheater pull up got my chin barely there. And you know, and I don't do pull I don't do pull ups anymore. Just be, you know, because usually it's my my prosthetic. It's the the material that makes up my prosthetic that breaks. You know, because there's 170 pounds hanging on it. Oh. But what's interesting to note is that for anyone that. For anyone that goes through a major transformation of their of their physical body in any which way, um, is that the body is so is made. It is redundant. It's like redundancy in place. So if you lose one muscle, there there is the body's going to find a way to have all the other mini muscles or underlying muscles that really are there to support. Those will start to grow and and pull weight. You know, so right now when I'm hiking, so I'm missing a major chunk of my left quadricep, a huge majority of the muscles on my left side. And I don't feel weaker on my left side now, six yeah. years later when I'm hiking an elk out, I, I feel like fatigued like anyone else does a hundred percent, you know? And, but I think it's because, um, all the little muscles, they fill in, they come back in, you know, they start working out more. So walk us through how things went with your arm. <clears throat> um, like kind of how that decision-making process. You, you say in the movie how you've decided to. Yeah, yeah. Was it, a, was it actually a decision? Yeah, it was. It was a decision. So um, I think I had been in the hospital for six days at that point. And if anyone's ever been in a, like a high school locker room, it stinks. And it kind of started to smell like that. It started to smell like foot and just Your odor. Arm. 
Yeah, there was yeah. basically decay. Is that they had debreeded the, the 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 most of my body, but with you know, I had asked to like I was basically begging with the world, and you know, I was like praying to people I'd never prayed to before. I was basically throwing every hail mary I could out at the universe, like don't take my left hand, because could any could you guys imagine losing your left hand? Like how could you? You know, you you, you can't. You know, you don't. No, and, and it's, it, and it's so funny you, because it's like uh, because of the nature. Um, because of the, so, so, sort of the, like how the last couple wars that we've been involved in have played out with improvised explosive devices, we see more it, of it. it. My God, Yo, yeah, yeah. Well, so, I, I, I imagine people. I imagine people see you and assume you're a soldier. A hundred percent. They're like, oh, you, you, you were, you lost your arm in uh, Fallujah. Yeah, it's probably like. Well, it's, it's it's usually you get like you get like the nod and maybe like the two fingered like like veteran. I'm like, yeah, so, so I, I'm like outdoorsman. So in know, that like, way, yeah. So in that way, know. no, I can't imagine losing my limb. But there's so many guys that right. are in our that are roughly in our generation that are dealing with that because of like that right. being, becoming such a like, yeah. Like no, a, I don't, we I, see I more of a it. Common injury, but just like we've had 13 years of. I mean, I mean, exposed exposed to these kind of explosions that seem to have a propensity to pull people's limbs off. I could speak all day too as to how I've benefited by From that technology by. By the the mass uh, influx of amputees coming back from the war, because the government obviously is going to pour a ton of money into taking care of people when they come back, and so the government's been huge behind new technologies. But in re- in regards to losing my hand, basically the doctor said, "Look, we've removed the majority of the dead tissue and on your hand, and there and and what you've got left is it is basically um, you're going to have to lose your pinky." And basically, the, like three out of the four top fingers, and you'll be left with your pointer finger and your thumb, and a hand that kind of runs down the middle of the back of your hand to your wrist. So you'll be left with kind of like a, a like a, a pistol looking, you know, hand. Yeah. And 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 it, he's it, saying guaranteed, the pistol's good working pistol. It, well, he's saying like he's saying like you should you'll be able to have some movement in your pointer finger and your thumb, but you're losing all the rest of your fingers, and. He says, so you'll have, you'll have a semi-functional left hand. Um, but he said, what concerns me is that we, we believe that there, the, the, what you smell in the room is an infection in your hand and in your forearm. Oh. And that is, at the moment, from like the middle part of my left forearm to my heart is less than 18 inches. And that isn't, it is not going to take long for a bacteria to run up to your heart. And our concern is great that... Um, that you've survived the electrical injury miraculously somehow, and yet we are highly we we are we, there is a very high risk that the bacterial infection in your forearm could kill you if it gets to your heart. Gotcha. And it was like that was on a Sunday afternoon, and I never forget. I just said, like, bring me to the table, yeah. take it off right now. Yeah. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. The doc, the surgeons, the earliest we can do this is tomorrow. You know, so I was ready to take it. The second they said the bacterial infection in your left hand could kill you. I was like, then take it off because, you know, I, I, you know, somehow survived the electrical injury itself. I'm not screwing around with infections and other things. You know, it's a weird a thing you just mentioned that I remember, that I remember striking me is, um, you talk about that 18 inch distance up your arm. Mm-hmm. I remember I had a pick line yeah. in one time and I, when I went to have it removed and I was expect I was just kind of, I don't know why <laughs> I was expecting this like giant hose. Yeah. And when they pull it out, I'm like, 
you know, that saying like when you get hurt, people are like, oh, it's a long way from your heart. Yeah. Kind of like, no, it's not a long way from your heart. No. They put a little line out, just like, yeah. Right there. You somehow think of it as being like sort of more isolated and protected as they pull out this like little seven inch holes. I'm like, that's how that's all it takes to get from my arm to my heart. I can feel where I'm missing ribs, I can put my fingers under those ribs when I'm working hard thing. and I'm basically like an inch from my heart. Yeah. So when I go when I when I do high intensity sport, whether it's horseback riding or triathlon biking or snowmobiling or snowboarding, I wear a uh it's basically my triathlon jersey, like a tight spandex jersey with Velcro and then a, a kind of like a Kevlar plate. That gotcha. goes against that Velcro to protect mm. against that hole in my chest right now. So oh, if you, so if you against see, impact, against impact. So it's so it's Just big your enough. Ribs, your ribs aren't doing the job anymore. Well, the, the, most of them in are, muscle, but there's yeah. there's a hole in my rib cage the size of a grapefruit, and so the plate is is like just over the size of a grapefruit, so that if it gets hit, yeah. it's going to spread weight to where the ribs are. Gotcha, like a yeah. bridge. Yeah, yeah, and I and I've called off recreational events where I I, sh I forget it. You know, I forget to bring my vest and, you know, and my girlfriend now, you know, she knows, remind me like, are you going horseback riding with Ben Masters? Bring your vest, you know? And if I forget it, I just won't go in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you woke up from the surgery and, right, what, like, how, what'd that feel like? You know, um, <clears throat> six years later, I, I, it's kind of a letdown, but, you know, I can only speak generally to what coming out of anesthesia feels like because I had 21 surgeries. Coming out of the surgery that removed my hand, I, you know, was not significantly different than the surgery that I had my ribs removed on or my scalp surgery. Yeah, but all of a sudden your arm's gone. Right, but <clears throat> it's interesting. So going into the surgery to remove my arm, I didn't really have an arm anyway. I just had a bandage club. Couldn't feel it. Yeah. I was, I was loaded on, on medicine. I was totally maxed out on pain meds. And, I, you know, I was, like, really in this point of stasis. I was, like, for the first week, I was still in this super tentative place where, um, you know, I could live or die, basically. And so coming out of surgery, my, to me, I didn't even get to look at it for the first day or two. Okay. So it was still just this bandaged left side. And then being just the, you know, twisted individual that I am and a chef, you know, the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, man, it looks like shank bone. You know, I can see the marrow in there. And I can really? see. Yeah. And it was like, ah, you know, and, I, and that is honestly, honestly, a lot of folks believe, you know, would, would assume rightfully so that, that it was tr super traumatic for me to like see my missing hand, you know, forearm with, without a hand attachment for the first time. But for me, I was, I, I, I was fascinated by being able to see all of my muscle groups open and see bone and you know i'm not meted out so i'm semi-comfortable and so for me it was it was actually it took my mind off of things to follow follow the movements of the nurses and the the team cleaning after you and to have a chance to have the inside view of my body it was kind of cool honestly looking back on it now how uh how lucid were you for all this i mean considering the medications right there's a, there's an accumulative accumulative effect of all that stuff i'm sure yeah, I, I think um, I, 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 was, I was mostly present. There's a lot I don't recall because of the cumulative effect of the fog, as you want to call it. But um, yeah, like just, I mean, just sort of like a probably a persistent sort of shock. Yeah. And then being doped up. And being doped up. But, you know, I, you know, I, I remember we took, you know, and I'm grateful too. This is another thing is too, is I had a support team like no other. You know, my ex-girlfriend, uh, Jenny Jane, who's my business partner, 
she flew back from the UK and uh, and took photos and video the whole time we were in hospital. And, I, I want to get to that because I don't understand that. Yeah, and so you know, so for me, um, I was I was kind of felt like it was a busy time period. You know, it was like you know, going from one bandage dressing to PT to surgery to there wasn't a ton of downtime that I was awake for that we weren't doing something. And and part of the, I've always loved photography, so I have a lot of photos that are pretty intense. You know that. Um, kind of helped take my mind off of things. It was like, we were, you know, yeah, made made it kind of interesting in a sense. Well, I imagine too that it doesn't take many minutes or maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe it's a couple hours until the thought repeats itself of, <clears throat> well, thank God, at least I'm here and I'm thinking. Oh, yeah. No, that's a, that's a, that's a, that is a good point. And I, um, I, I actually don't think I got back to Steve's point to that either, which was, how was it to wake up, not have your hand? And, I think it was three weeks in where we were watching a movie and I, and Jen's probably in my hospital bed and I'm on her right side. She's on my left and we're watching a, a movie on the laptop and I'm never and this. And, and this is the moment where I first remember having an emotional breakdown. And, um, you know, with my left hand, I was kind of, you know, you're sitting next to your honey at home. Where are your hands? You know, one of you, well, don't answer that question, but one of your hands is, you know, probably on her, on her knee or on her shoulder or on her hand. You know, you're hanging out. And so my, hand, my left hand was on Jen's knee. And we're watching a movie. And at one point, I go to give it a squeeze. And then I kind of look over and I, and I rec- realize that I'm, my left hand is on her knee. And I'm hanging out with her. And yet there's no left hand. And you're yet, kidding me. Yeah, and y'all moving my muscles. And I'm kind of like doing this, you know. And, uh, and I just broke down because... It, you know, of course, my body still remembered a left hand had been there for 30 years. And it took a year, you know, six months to a year for me to really come to terms psychologically with the fact that I don't have a left hand. Like, right now, I'm wearing a prosthetic hook. And if I, if I take this hook off, 100% in the second I just took that off, I now am unilateral. I'm like one-handed in my mind. Whereas the second I put this hook back in... I'm bilateral again because I got I got two mm-hmm. hands to do stuff with. Because the, the mind, uh, you know, the, the so for me it was it was really like a few weeks in where I actually had a moment of loss for my limb, but not after the not right after the fact. Yeah, those are a pretty impactful part of the movie. Not the most impactful part to me, but a pretty impactful part of the movie is leaving the hospital. Yeah, because it seems yeah. that then, like all of a sudden, then once you're outside, it seems like you kind of are. That's like one of the moments when you, it sort of seems to hit you. Yeah. But all of a sudden now, you've been in this like little sanctuary. And all of a sudden now, they're like, oh, you can go home now. And you're walking outside without your nursing staff, without the pharmacy next door, without your surgeons. You, you basically, you've been incubated. You've been knocked down to this place where you are vulnerable and, and being built up from the ground up again. And then you walk outside and, and you're discharged and all of a sudden you got to park your own car again and you got to drive again. And, you know, of course I still had my family and everyone there, but, um, you know, I mean, Jenny, you know, bless her heart, you know, took her hours to unbandage me, get me in a shower, take me out of the shower and bandage me back up again. You know, we, I mean, wound care was still intensive. It would take yeah. four hours to kind of just get me ready for the day. So here's something I forgot to ch- check in on. How in the world, so you coincidentally at the same time happen to have testicular cancer that has spread up your spine and don't, don't know about it. 
Right. Yeah. And they find it through all this other stuff. So on top of that, you're in there doing like chemo. So I hadn't done chemo yet. But so, right. So when I, so the, the, what the film, what you don't see in the film and uh, what I, you know, what's interesting to me is that in 2007, I'm working on the yacht and I'm in Saint-Tropez in the south of France and I feel this pain in my groin, kind of like pulled muscle. And I remember just mentioning to the captain, I got to go see a doctor, you know, and I don't bitch much about really anything, a high threshold for pain. And um, there's a doctor on board who's a guest at the time. And he's like, oh, we'll just have Dr. So-and-so give you a checkup, you know? Like, okay. Doctor gives me a quick eval, kind of checks the boys out down there. And he's like, you know, how many hours a day are you working? I'm like, 20, 18 for like months in a row. And he says, uh, tell the boss to give you a day off and take an anti-inflammatory. You're probably just working too hard standing on your feet. And that's what every young mid-20 male wants to hear. You know, that we don't want to go to the hospital or go get checked out. We're invincible. You're looking for a reason to not take it seriously. A hundred percent we are. And, uh, and so that was 2007. So fast forward to my injury in 2011. And I come out of a surgery where because of one of my exit wounds, basically being in my sack, okay, um, they removed my left testy. And, um, and so I'm told this when I come out of surgery. This, this is kind of like, this is like just a twisted fact of coming out of a surgery is you don't really know what happened in surgery until you wake up again and, you, and, and you're getting told, oh, well, we took this off, but we were able to keep this. And, you know, so you're kind of getting the, the shakedown of how it went. Because they're doing, they're doing play by play. Yeah. You, I mean, you, they, don't, you, they don't know what they're getting into. You sign a waiver every time you go into surgery that basically says, I, I recognize that I may not live through this. And the, the hospital is not, you know, um, you know, legally bound by what may happen. And then you obviously give someone power of attorney so that if they need to make a game day call, someone can do that for you while you're on the table. And so, Jen, you, you handed it over to your ex-girlfriend. Well, yeah, because she was the one that was there every day. She was like, boom, on my side. You know, so it's like, you make the call. For every- meanwhile, you got siblings, parents. Who, who, who were there. But as my mom says, you know, and my brother, you know, like, there can only be one captain of the ship. And if Jen's going to be, if she's already been by this guy's side for five years, she's sleeping next to that bed every day. And we were all in the peripheral every day here. So everyone else was in Salt Lake too. But it was like Jen next to the bed. So, um, And she's able to make like end of life decisions for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she, and, but, and, and to be fair, yes, she was. But she's also, you know, She's living with my family. My family's in the room too, and then going home. But you know, she's with yeah. No, them. and I'm, yeah, I'm not suggesting that I yeah. would think that like, uh, oh, I shouldn't do this because she might pull a dirty trick and say <laughs> no. pull the plug. But just like, yeah. just strikes me as on it's it's un- well, you have to admit it's unusual. Well, and because Steve's referring, Steve's referring to that she's my ex girlfriend, right? She's not my girlfriend. But you guys are becoming kind of like we we had, when, the, when the accident happened, she was an ex girlfriend, correct? Yeah, she had just flown home to the UK. Yeah, a week before. Um, Okay, so fresh so, X. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, and so <clears throat> I come out of surgery, and they're like, and the doctors say, uh, this went well, that went well, this went well. Couldn't save your left testicle. You know, adios. Rest in peace, buddy. And, uh, and in that moment, I, I recall that many years before, I had had a pain in my, you know, in, in, my, in, my, in my sack, and you know, and some swelling, and I was kind of told to take an ibuprofen and never did anything about it. So I just casually mentioned this to the nurse, who then mentions it to the surgeon. And so, like, the first of a little red flag goes up, and the surgeon puts in an order that a tissue sample from the testy that 
had been taken out a few hours before gets sent to the lab. And that comes back positive for testicular cancer. Oh, man, really? So that's how that was found. And yeah, so, you don't and have the, room. In the movie, there's not room for that. And there's not room for that. And so that's, but that's how it was so found. So they did like a biopsy on, a, on we, an electrocuted test. Yeah. So, so, and so then we biopsy the heck out of, you know, like we, we so then we, the, the, you know, there's a full blown attack on all of the CT scans that had already happened over the prior week or two. And they're looking now, like, what did we miss? Is there something in here that we're missing? You know, and they see this mass that's on my left spine and my lower abdomen, just above my groin. And it's immediately flagged as a second stage tumor coming up from the testicle. Um, cancerous. So we Dude, this bi- is making me physically, like, physically uncomfortable. We biopsy the heck out of that. <laughs> Sitting but, here. But in right. every biopsy test comes back uh, negative. Okay, but the thing with the biopsy is imagine you have an apple and then you have a hollow core biopsy needle. How many times do you have to stick that apple to get full coverage? About a million. Yeah. So it's not going to happen. So we biopsy it like six times, let's say. And they all come back negative. And all my tumor, you know, my blood work comes back negative. But the doctors feel via what they can see in imagery that there is an, and they're, and, and so the Utah, University of Utah, the University of Utah has the Huntsman Cancer Clinic there. So they, they have a major oncology team. So they have an oncologist on this now. And they basically decide that there is a reason enough for concern that this is a second stage tumor. Um, and that even though all of my readings are coming back negative, they highly recommend that I go into a very aggressive round of chemotherapy to just make sure there's nothing in me anywhere. Um, and, I, and, and I'm still in the middle of surgeries. So now all of my surgeries, you can't go into chemotherapy with open wounds. So now they basically put surgical band-aids on these wounds that are in recovery, like my scalp. You know, So they basically they, they, they take skin, and they put it on my skull to close that up. And they put everything on hold so that I can go home to Bozeman and do three months of intense chemotherapy. And that's, a, like, that's another part of the movie. It's just something you always hear doing chemotherapy that your hair falls off. But in the movie, mm. you're able to, one day, you realize it's loose. And someone's filming this. And you're able to just kind of go and pull all of the hair off your head. Yeah, I started chemo. Or, I mean, like I, I started chemo like late January, early Jan. No, early early February, and I'm whitetail shed hunting, and I start to notice, you know, like my hand going through my head while sweating, and uh, and when I say to whitetail shed hunting, I'm like sick as a dog in chemotherapy. So my goal is to get Just outside trying, trying once get out. a day for a hundred yards to maybe a, a flat river bottom walk with no weight on my pack just to be outside. And I start noticing that my hand's coming back with hair on it, you know? And, and um, yeah, I remember one day just kind of like messing with my hair, noting it. And I was determined that I would be the 1% that whose hair doesn't fall out. Because it happens. Like a few, a small percentage of people do not lose their hair in chemotherapy. And, uh, and yeah, and so when it did, um, yeah, I was at home and, and we filmed, you know, Jen and I just put a camera on a tripod and, um, and just, yeah, went after it. That's a very raw part in the film for a lot of people that are watching. Um, I mean, I've sat in a lot of screenings in theaters, and that's a very raw part. Cancer is all over our society, and there's almost no one out there that's not touched by cancer somehow through their family or friends or personally. And 
seeing yet i don't think anyone's ever seen a cancer patient pull their hair out and so it's just it is it's it's really arresting i I got a question through all that did did they ever say oh yeah we we did have a test result that came back then positive on his scroll but yeah on, on no on the testicle that was removed that was positive so none of the biopsies and none of the blood work until this date knock on wood somewhere um i go for a checkup every six months and i'm still negative i still test you know like i'm clean you know at the moment um so i think are you getting at so what's up with the mass yeah. right what's up with the mass so man we we kept our eyeball on that for and we still do um, but we kept our eyeball on that heavy for two and a half years and my oncologist now in Bozeman, montana feels that and i was pushed heavily to have it removed which is a very dicey surgery because it's right near your spine with some significant, uh, significantly undesirable side effects that are unavoidable for that surgery, which I will spare listeners. Um, and and I, I kind of just said, look, I, I don't need to gamble here. But unless you're telling me that this mass is going to kill me, right. I don't want to have this removed. You know, like I'm happy to just watch it, seriously watch it, but I don't want to go under the knife again. And, and deal with these, you know, side effects and whatnot. And uh, so we didn't have it removed. And, um, and the oncologist, my oncologist now believes it's an overactive lymphocele. So it's basically, it's a lymph node and filled with some lymphatic drainage. And, and we watch it. Every six months, I get a CT scan and we watch it. And it kind of hasn't really grown. And sometimes it'll shrink or change shapes. And, you know, just we're watching it. So I feel like I got this little thing I get to keep tabs on now. Did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Applying for tags each year in the West can be daunting. Yeah, I apply for everything everywhere. It's daunting. You have to go to a variety of sources to formulate your best guess as to where to apply. Well, this is a thing of the past now. Onyx just launched hunt research tools to simplify the process for all hunters. This tool helps organize the data that matters, makes comparing hunt options easy, and helps hunters develop a plan based on real metrics rather than gut feelings. Onyx Hunt also offers all elite members a free digital membership to Hunt and Fool, who I use, for boots on the ground insight and knowledge, and a membership to Hunt Reminder, so you never miss another deadline. Stop stressing over application season and apply with confidence in 2024. Check out OnX Hunt Research Tools, free for all OnX Hunt Elite members. Not an elite member? 
Well, let's fix that. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt. This is an app I use literally every day. I use it for every aspect of hunting, scouting, trapping, you name it. Man, I'm just coming back uh, not too long ago from youth turkey season in Wisconsin. Now, last year at youth turkey season, it rained and snowed the whole time. This year at youth turkey season, it was in the 70s and even up to 80. So me and my kids are pouring it to it. And after a while, I realized they didn't drink anything all day and they haven't drank anything all day. Well, that's why it's important to get hydrated and have something you're going to like to help you, encourage you to get hydrated. doesn't matter. Outdoor events, turkey hunting, playing sports, beach days, mountain adventures. Summer requires extraordinary hydration that's built for everyday dehydrating moments. With three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients in a single stick, it's clear why Liquid IV is the number one powdered hydration brand in America. Tear, pour, live more. One stick plus 16 ounces of water hydrates better than water alone. I'll say that again. Hydrates better than water alone. Turn your ordinary water into extraordinary hydration with Liquid IV. Get 20% off your first order of Liquid IV when you go to liquidiv.com and you use code MEATEATER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code MEATEATER at liquidiv.com. Here's a part of the movie I don't understand. I don't think I don't feel like it was adequately addressed, and it wouldn't be because it's almost like fourth wall. It's a fourth wall issue. I'll, I'll explain that. Um, so when people say breaking the fourth wall, it's kind of like a production term where you imagine that you're filming a room. Um, I'm telling you, the listeners, this not not Eduardo, but you're filming a room, right? And you can always see three room, three walls of the room. Because the fourth wall is, is where the camera's sitting. So in production, you'd say like to break the fourth wall is to sort of acknowledge the presence of, of the fact that there's some level of artifice here and that this is being filmed, mm-hmm. right? So watching the movie, you're just sort of engrossed in all the stuff that's going on. But let's say we break the fourth wall a minute. Well, how in the world, why in the world Or how did it come up that within days of this injury, when you still don't even know if you're going to live or die, you guys, that that your your ex-girlfriend comes and you guys come to a decision to to, to start filming it. Mm -hmm. Like, what was that conversation? Yeah, um, great question. And um, that's the the result of filming it. Well, hold on, I'm getting sidetracked. The reason that why we have so much footage from the hospital in the moment is that we had just finished r- wrapping up filming for all through 2010 and 11 this pilot for this TV show, right? So I already had a DSLR camera and a light kit and lenses, and we knew how to use it and film in 4K or whatever else. And um, and and Jen is a creative. So Jen actually was the original mind behind, hey, Ed, you should have this TV show. And she storyboarded it out and she taught herself, you know, how does a TV show happen? And she, you know, wrote, put it on paper. So she's a screenwriter also. And so when she was flying over, she says that she had, she, she told her best friend in the UK when she was flying over, you know, we've already been documenting Ed's life for two years for this TV show. I'm going to keep documenting it in the so hospital. So is she coming to help you or coming to film you? Help. She's coming to help. She's coming out of love. 
A hundred percent. You think so? A hundred percent. Yeah. And and because that was it, just struck me as so. I, I I actually couldn't like um. It was something that took me a while. I had to work to break free from that question. Yeah. So and so so my friend Sam drove my truck down with our camera, and the production team that I was working with. Of course, I mean I had people, business partners from everywhere, and friends from everywhere flying in to see me. I mean, and this guy's like I'm almost dying, right? So obviously the company I'm working with on this television show they fly in and they brought a tripod and they brought like a small handheld light and things um because we're filming a tv show and the tv show is not morphing all of a sudden into this hospital show but i think what we were thinking or what jen was thinking was we need to document this like and you know we need to document this and had we really publicized that to the hospital we probably wouldn't have got permission so it was jen with the handheld dslr and just we're just filming this so we have it. We're filming Yeah, because even at one point I think a nurse yeah. even yeah. asks, right? She's why, like Yeah. Why are you filming all this? Yeah. Because I was I, mean, I was filming it with my phone and and um and Jen, you know, part of Jen's reasoning too is that so when I wake up and I'm missing a testicle and whatever else, you know, there's sort of when I come out of this this fog and this traumatic sort of place where I may not be fully present, that I would have I can go through three hundred and eighty six hours of footage. And see what the condition I was in. Yeah, like, really I still had to see how it could be like a coping mechanism. You that, know? Yeah, yeah, that that that's it. You know, but you still had to eventually. I, I don't want to get too like production talk here, but you still had to go get releases from all these people, right? Right. So that's three years later. Okay. Three years later, and I mean that's its whole own fascinating story. But um, you know, I uh, it wasn't until 2014 that the conversation really started to come around via friends that are in production and via Jen and via family and you know like hey you should tell the story you know and I had no interest I had zero interest in telling the story um and it, and it was actually my the surgeon on call that saved my life Dr. Stephen Morris who to me he he basically impressed upon me that um in in fewer words and and I kind of took his words and extracted what I found what I thought he was trying to tell me was that I lose a lot of patients. I lose a lot of people because they give up. And this is three years post, okay? So my hair has grown in and I'm standing and I'm walking and I'm back to work and looking healthy. And, and he's, he's like, you've, your, your, your recovery, Eduardo, is phenomenal, the way you've recovered. And the fact that you are not sharing this with others is like selfish almost. Like, you know, you have a, a human obligation to society to help those around you. And you are sitting on a really, really kind of high, high, high opportunity. This, this quality opportunity to help others by just saying, this is what recovery can look like mm -hmm. if all these parts come together. Which is not just about Eduardo. It's about if your, com yeah. if your community comes together, if, if your family comes together, if, if all the pieces come together, you know. Um, if the patient, you know, even if you're splinted, you know, even if you can't move, because there's many times when I couldn't move my arms, I couldn't do anything but move my eyes. But even as the patient, if the a patient assumes responsibility to bring in as much fire and stoke that so the nurse and operating team knows that patient is fighting, we're fighting with that patient. And I think that's what he was trying to ch task me and challenge me with. It's like, you should be helping others with this. Well, that that's what the... The movie ultimately is about recovery and family 
and the people that you keep around you and how you maintain yourself in life under hardship. We focus a lot here on, on details of the injury, but that's just a, a, a small fraction of the movie. And it really becomes pretty heavily focused on sort of a reevaluation of the relationship between you and your father. Mm-hmm. And also trying to make sense out of a, a really complex relationship with a woman that you are in love with and she's in love with you and you go through some thing like this together, but still there's this nagging sense that you're not together. Yeah. It's, it's touching. The, the, the thing that struck me most, and, and the movie moved me to tears because at a point, you, you, I'm sure it does a lot of people, Eduardo goes to a high school to talk to some kids about um, just how to cope and, and, and be together and how to treat other human beings, I think is maybe one way to putting it. And you're saying that here, here I am now and this is happening to me and I have this kind of incredible story and, and, and you go on TV and you've been on all kinds of news shows and morning shows talking about it and it's like all about you. But you're saying it's really not um, about you. It's about other people. And at the end of this talk, a kid comes up to you and the kid's just suffering, suffering bad. And his brother's been injured by a firework. And you, like, the way that you each knew Mm -hmm. was impactful. Like, what he's going through. Yeah, when when one survivor looks at another survivor, you almost don't have to say a word. It was amazing. It's an amazing moment. Like, an amazing moment. To have captured, to, to, to be captured on film, you know. That school had been going through a major rash of suicides, like many in in our country right now and uh um you know in our high school youth um which is is something that i don't understand fully and so the high school asked if i would share my story and you know how do you say and i stressed about that talk you know how do you how do you fill 45 minutes of conversation with 2,000 high school students that you know i have my niece and nephew were in that school and i'm thinking like i mean i love them to pieces and they love uncle ed but you know, oftentimes they, they don't want to give me more than a second of Dude, attention. It's the, most, it's the most cynical age, man. No, and, you know, and I and, and high school was not my glamour years, you know. You know, I was getting kicked out of every school I ever went to. So You, you got kicked out of nine That's what I wanted to add. kicked out of nine schools. I was equally impressed with the connection with the, I can't remember if that was the next kid or the kid prior to the one that had the brother with the injury. Yeah. But the other kid that just really related with you having like a rough upbringing and, and not rough upbringing, but just rough earlier years where you got into trouble and whatnot. And you could tell that he was probably sort of like, probably not getting straight A's, having a rough go at it, and just mm-hmm. being able to relate. It was good. Was well, so we we did a we had a Q and A after. There's the funniest thing is I released the assembly, two thousand kids. Like talk was over. Da 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 da. Um. Good night. You know I'm out. And. uh and I forgot that we had a Q&A. You know, like we had already just held hands and everything. And I forgot that we had a Q&A. One of the student bodies that was running the assembly was like, Mr. Garcia, Mr. Garcia, the Q&A. And I grabbed the mic and I was like, yo. And just yelled and arrested everyone in their tracks. I was like, sit down. We're not done yet. And I just told them like, we're done. 
And so we do a Q&A and think about this. Like, high school is a really, really, really uh, challenging time in any young adult's life. And think about getting up on a mic and sharing anything with yeah. your entire student body. And so it's like an auction, you know, when as soon as it's like, there's a mic here, we're going to do a Q&A. I know there's some questions out in the room. Who's going to go first? And it was like an auction. I was just like looking for anyone to scratch their nose or flinch. And I was going to call on them. And so some kid flinches and I called on him. And he was brave enough to get all the way up, walk all the way across the auditorium and get to the mic. And his question was, where can I eat your food? (laughs) (laughs) You know, and, uh, but it broke the ice. It broke the ice. And all of a sudden we have a line of kids. And we did a 30-minute Q&A, and we had to end the session. That brought, that's all it took. That's all it took. We ended the session with 20 kids still standing behind the mic. Um, but, you know, and, you know, that talk. So that's, and that's what I'm doing. That's my focus for 2018 and, you know, in, like onward for many years is to bring my life experience via – I'm so grateful, man. I'm so grateful that there's a film like this out there that takes my story and objectively puts it out there in a way that almost anybody from any walk of life at any age can reflect upon their own lives with. Yes, it's told through my story and it's told through my shitty day, but it raises um, it raises emotions and it raises challenges that every single one of us experiences and no one's immune to grief and loss and, you know, wrongdoings and forgiveness and love. Mm-hmm. You know, we all, we all experience that. So, um, you know, I, I, you know, I, I have, have great hopes. I have super high hopes for this part of my life coming forward. You know, is to um, let this film be its own, its own thing. You know, and I didn't make the film. We got that's important to understand for you know everyone listening is that I signed this sweet little piece of paper that's actually quite short, and it's just called it's life life story rights release. And, you know, you have the opportunity to list. It was, it was made by the director and producer, Phil, Bar- Philip Baraboo. Yeah, so the director is Phil Baraboo, who also uh, recently finished an award-winning feature-length documentary called Unbranded, which everyone should check out. And, um, but, I, but, you know, when you sign your life story rights away, you can list. I don't want to talk about the fact that I had testicular cancer. I don't want to talk about that I'm from emigrant Montana. Like, and I left it blank. I didn't put anything down. Because for me, you know, I could have put, I don't want to talk about the fact that I was a lying, cheating asshole to my ex-girlfriend. But um, for me, look, I'm looking for healing in this too. Like I need to get something out of this process, out of this film. And beyond my interest in helping others by sharing what recovery can looks like via my story, I'm also still to this day right here with you guys. Like I am still going through like the aftermath of a super traumatic event that I'm yeah. still trying to make like right in my mind. But that, that's touched on well toward the end of the movie. Like you're, you're, you're out of it. No, not, not out of it mentally, but you, you, you kind of, your, your future is sort of clear. I'm starting to find like where my new purpose well, is yeah, going to be. And, and, and you're with your father. Right. You know, but then and, you, and it comes up, it comes up that like, yeah, that, that all this, that, all this optimism that you have and the sort of uplifting nature of this and the way you're spinning this to other people, not spinning, the way, the portion of it that you're choosing to share with other people and the parts of it that you're picking out to have it be that this is what you want your legacy and story to be like, that underneath it is 
there's a sadness that's there. Yeah. And you, your, your father sees it and you admit to it and you guys talk about it. And it's something that like, I think it's, it's an important part to bring up because you could look at someone and someone who's doing their best to put all this in a good light, just like the transparency, the acknowledgement of, of your faults, how you want this to be, how you want people to discuss you and perceive you that when you see someone who's just kicking ass in dire circumstances, it's not that they're different than you are and that they're just immune to feelings of self-doubt and immune to feelings of depression. It's because probably what's happening is that person is making a day-to-day conscious decision to, to be like, there's the parts of this that I'm going to be, that I'm going to focus on and talk about. And there's the parts of this that I'm going to deal with internally. And that probably becomes a tremendous burden for someone. And, 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 you, and in all fairness, you kind of allow it to come out in the movie that, yes, there is like a, there's, there's a, a sadness down in here that I'm not going to deny, but it's not going to be the part that I hold out to other people. Well, it's, 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 it's a part that I didn't even know. Like, I, I'm moving a mile a minute, just my way of life. My, way of, my natural way of being is just to move forward quickly through things. And I, it wasn't until halfway through this six, last six years of recovery that I started to hear from a gal I was dating or from a friend, you know, like, hey, you're kind of a dick, man. Or, hey, you know, you, you talk about being happy and positive all the time, but I don't think I see that, you know? So I started to actually go to my closest friends and say, hey, you know, I would love to hear from you. What do you see in me that's challenging to you? What, what in me is something I could get rid of and be better off without, you know? And I started to assess, you know, this, this gal I was dating was like, you talk about being happy, but you don't look so happy, man. You don't sound so happy. And I started to think like, really? Am I not happy? You know? And, and, but was it an anger? No, you know, I, I think, I think what, I, I don't know if I, was it something in- that was already there? Or was it something that was laid over everything else because of the injury? I think, uh, I, I think I hadn't done the emotional work. Like, I, it, was, it was easy to figure out how to hike again. It was easy to figure out how to get on a bike or fly fish. I mean, relative, all re- due respect to anyone out there who's trying to get back on the pony, right? For me, the physical was the easiest part to get back into. But the emotional part, I was honestly, this injury probably started pulling up emotional baggage from, you know, somewhere earlier in life also. It started pulling out everything, you know? Not having a dad from the age of two weeks old through 13, like all kinds of things. So, you know, I think what the film teaches us through my story is that, you know, every experience positive, hold on, just move positive or negative aside. Let's not associate those words with an experience. Every experience is a circumstance by which we can really make it what we want, right? Like we have veterans, we have veterans and everyday peoples coming through trauma and being wrapped in bubble wrap when they come out of trauma. Like, here's your meds, here's your help, here's your this. Almost being encouraged not to get strong again. Whereas I kind of feel, and it, it, please, this is all due respect to anyone going through tough stuff. I'm just speaking about what I know, is that I think we're forged by fire. I think that if we survive something intense, by my mind, we should be stronger after that via the experience, via the learned, sensorial, physical, 
chemical experience of all of it. We should be just this stronger human being that now has experience with trauma. So the next time we experience it, because we, we are going to, that's, I mean, it's a bittersweet life we live. So the next time it happens, we will, if we've embraced it, if we've learned from it, if we've used it to make, to, to really add on to our experience in life, I think that we will be able to address the next event in our life with just, a, you know, as a more adaptable human being. If we're not crutched by meds, if we're not clouded by meds, if we're not kind of brought back into society as a, oh, you're an amputee, let me give you a parking sticker for your rearview mirror. Of course, someone may really need that and they should use it. You, you get where I'm going with I this? Know, I know exactly where you're going. So, <clears throat> you know, for me... I understand, but I mean, it's like, I just have to hear you say it because I, I, can't, I don't have anything comparable. No, it was like, well, it's like I was elk hunting three days ago. And, um, you know, I got a great bull, buddy of mine, and we're less than a quarter mile from the truck. But, of course, the last quarter mile is, you know, down this steep, nasty hill with chopstick deadfall everywhere. And we're dragging this caped head out. So it's got the hide and everything. It weighs double what it should, you know. And we're dragging it out. And um, my buddy calls for a break, so we break. And he's like, man, he's like, he's like, man, can we switch sides, man? My hand is killing me. Like, my arm is killing me. I, like, look over at this guy, and I, like, lift up my hook and my right hand. I'm like, you're going to call, you're going to say that to a guy with one hand? Your hand's killing you, you know? And so I think, look, for me, this film was not made by me. This was made by an objective team of talented storytellers. Phil Baraboo and his whole team took 386 hours of footage, and they brought that down to an eight-hour assembly of selected imagery that they felt was strong and then from that they brought it down to you know the two-hour version which was the first thing i got to see so i didn't even touch any of this until it was at two hours and now it's an 86 minute film that is out there in the public we just released two weeks ago and i didn't make a single edit on it i didn't make one change to any of it because for me part of my healing is to say to the outside world, which is the director and his team, he knows the message I wanted. He knows that I was really hell-bent on it being this like, recovery tool for others. And, um, and he kept that in mind. But I was interested in seeing what does everyone else see in my story. I don't want this to be Eduardo on a mountaintop saying, like, this is me, everybody. I wanted it to be those guys looking in yeah. and then pulling out through their life. So... And I think it's it's a beautiful film for that reason that it's it's this more general human piece, you know. It's called Charged. The Eduardo Garcia story. Just released. I mean, that's insane too. You know, that's insane. I'm flying on Delta back from New York City last week, and someone I'm wearing this shirt, and it says, it "says Charged." The Eduardo Garcia story. And the guy checks me in. He's like, welcome, you know, like, have a good flight, Mr. Garcia. What's, what's the charged? And then I get to say, oh, this is documentary film. I don't even have to say it's about me. I can say, oh, it's a killer documentary. <laughs> it's on Amazon, iTunes, and basically everywhere else that you download your films, go watch it. I, that's all I get to say, you know, which is surreal. Yeah. I think everyone should check it out. So and that's I, where it's at, Amazon, iTunes. iTunes. Amazon, iTunes, and all the other subscription-based platforms that are out there for digital download. Um, and obviously, you can go to chargefilm.com, which is our website. 
which has a lot of the, you know, more of our bios and story, um, and, and obviously about the film team, um, you know, and, uh, yeah, you know, we'll see, we'll see what's next. The next time we have you on, I want to do an episode called Hunting with a Hook. Let's do it. And have you explain all that. You mean how I can pull, still, pull hide still, off with you this still, thing? You still skin elk, you bow hunt, you rifle hunt? Well, this has better purchase than your hands on a slippery hide is my guess. You just poke a hole in it. You know how you have like a meat gaff? Yeah. You know, butchers have like a meat gaff? Well, that's kind of like a meat gaff. You just poke a little hole in the hide. And you can sell for rest. Well, you know, you get a knife on there. You know, you know. Yeah, you can probably sell for rest. And then I point out too that you had a stainless steel anvil. Yeah. Installed on there for uh, crushing walnuts and flattening garlic and whatnot. Yeah. Well, that that <laughs> that actually came around because I busted a, a po a, I slammed a hole through the bottom of my carbon fiber socket, which is basically the prosthesis, you know, shell that goes over my forearm. I was pounding steaks with a ranching buddy, fiberglass steaks for an electric pen. I didn't touch the electric. Still messing part. With electricity. <laughs> yeah, you know. So yeah, and you know, but the thing is, it's 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 great to have a left hand back, which is my hook. However, you know, we 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 cope. We figure it out. You know, um, I I wrap those little hot hand warmer pads to it because there's so much metal on this that this just sucks the cold in and oh, then it goes really? my, oh it gets cold you know man when i get when i you know if i if i've been out all day and i it'll take hours for that forearm to warm up for sure you just feel it traveling up your arm oh yeah 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 before we i got one last question for you before we started we were talking about the rapidly evolving um language we use uh you know, in 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 uh, terms of political correctness and other mm -hmm. things, and just mm -hmm. like how we describe people, what uh, what sorts of things ring true and not true to you? Terms, amputee, handicap. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think if someone, if some, you know, if if I, if if I if I overheard or directly was, you know, in a conversation and being addressed as being handicapped. Yeah, I'd probably challenge whoever to push up contest or something like I don't know. Yeah. But um I mean, if someone said like, hey, look at that handicapped guy. Yeah, you know, or oh, you know. But but then the same goes true. There's like, I think we need to curb our enthusiasm for wanting to find fault in everything. Like, I think there needs to be a little bit more leniency to just just being organic, right? So so if someone you know, says, oh, can I help you with that? You're missing a hand. I'm not going to attack the person. I'm right. like, sure, hold the bag. You know, thanks. You know, for sure. That's oh. something that comes up with me all the time because I think that if you, if you spend your life hanging around younger people who are more involved in sort of the evolving cultural dialogue and cultural landscape, they have a sense of, you know, they can tiptoe through the minefield of, terms and ways we talk right. about things and they're hip to like changes but then if i go back to where i grew up and i'm and i'm talking to someone you know one of my father's contemporaries who's in their 80s now and they just kind of you know spend their time fishing and live in a rural environment yeah and they'll and i know what's their heart what's in their heart and i know just from having a lifetime of exposure to them what kind of person they are and they'll use language that would to many people betray another kind of person mm -hmm. but 
their adoption of it was so long ago that they felt that they were moving in the right direction and never heard otherwise. Right. Yeah. For you, listen, you know, I would encourage. For me, I, I'm honestly, unless unless uh, I kind, I think I kind of just decided I was not going to be moved by other people's interpretation of what they see. Yeah. Like, I mean, first of all, and that didn't start with my injury, but it was probably super crystallized with my injury. But growing up a Mexican kid in a country town, Southwest Montana, you know, changed my name from Eduardo to Edward, Eddie, just so I wouldn't get made fun of, you know, like, so that prejudice, you know, you know, I saw that early in life, you know, for sure. I could imagine. And, uh, and so for now, this for me is just a radical humility test. It's just a, it's just a radical introduction into just being a little bit more human, you know, like. Michael Franti always wears a hat, right? Stay human. And I think that just means there needs to be room for organic occurrence to happen. And of course, some people are malicious and malintended, but not everybody. I think we need to continue to give people the benefit of the doubt that they're just trying to react the way they naturally know. And let's just hope they're open to being told like, hey, that kind of hurt me this way. But, you know, like call a handicapped person just... Mr. So-and-so instead of like, oh, that guy who's handicapped. You need help, you know? Um, and I would encourage everybody, get, get involved, you know? Get involved in something that challenges you. So I, I do a lot of work right now with a group called the Challenged Athletes Foundation out of San Diego, and that's the group that I'm sort of doing these triathlons and stuff with. And so the, what they stand for, they've been around for 20 years, nonprofit, and they basically believe that through active sport, anybody can lead a healthier life. And of course, their focus is on on people with physical disabilities, whether it's congenital trauma um, or trauma based, you know. And so, you know, through being a part, being you know one of their athletes now, and one of their spokespersons, I also you know fundraise for them, so I'm an active part of that. Um, but what it, you know what it does for me is it's 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 fun, and it makes me feel like I have a community, you know, of other amputees that I and non amputees, just folks with you know that are born with some type of, you know, spina bifida or whatever it may be, um, some type of physical challenge, right? And let me tell you what, you want to be inspired? Go to a Challenge Athletes Foundation event and you get your ass handed to you in a swim by a blind swimmer or a swimmer without legs. And sure, you know, like you get smoked in the water by a swimmer with no legs and you're like blown away. And you go up to the guy and you're like, shit, or the woman or whoever, and you shake their hand. You're like, wow, you just crushed that swim. And then you have them look at you and they're like, thanks, but I had no drag through the water. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, and so it's just like, there's a humor, right? That they kind of, they invite you into just smiling and laughing at the many different lenses that is being human today. You don't have to have your legs, you know? I should have one last question for you. You've, you've come out of this a transformed person and and a, a powerful per, per, powerful person and you're in, in touch with the symbolism of what happened to you and how you came out of it do you ever think to yourself um if you go back to that day in october in 2011 if you once again had to like grab your knife and reach out and touch the bear would you touch the bear or not 
I wouldn't change a thing. Well, I don't imagine you would. No. All right, man. Thanks for joining us. Check out the movie Charged, the Eduardo Garcia story. Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater Podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com, use code MEATEATER for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.